or um, you've got family who are currently isolated with it. Today, I want to share a story that happened to me when I was 19 or 20. I can't remember. It was too long ago. I was working at Sanitarium, and, and in the holidays, I got a promotion. I moved from making wheat bix to working in the printing plant, which was so different. And as I was over there working in the printing plant, um, one of my best mates was one of the printers, and they started training me to be a gluer operator. <laughs> sounds, sounds complex, but it's not. Um, so, so I was working over there. First couple of weeks, got paper cuts all over me. Uh, but after a few weeks, your hands just harden up, <laughs> and, uh, and, and off we went. I had, I'd only given my heart to God in year 12, and having been on... This is the Christian walk. We go on quite a pendulum from time to time. We, we start off not wanting to know God, then we find God in our lives, and all of a sudden, we just want to surround ourselves with everything that is godly. That's what I did. And uh, my pendulum... Um, went from being pretty non-interested in Christianity to almost being over-interested in Christianity. Not over-interested in Christ, over-interested in Christianity and the things that we call religion, the things that you need to do or to follow. And to be honest, my life started to get a bit out of balance with it. At 19, my local church said, Sean, you're taking a gap year from... I didn't even know what I wanted to do. You're taking a gap year at Sanitarium. Um, do you want to be the youth leader? And I thought, that sounds like a good idea. That was a bit of a rookie move. And took it on. Our youth group was about 200. So it wasn't a little youth group to look after. It was massive. Uh, and when, when I actually uh, took it on, I was really enthusiastic and got heavily involved in everything. And to be honest, when you do that, you, you have this spiral into burning out and, and 19, I definitely experienced that. Just exhaustion of trying to do too much for God. I had a group of friends who were new Christians, and I was attracted to them because of their story, their walk with God. So I spent lots of time with them. And to be honest, a lot of my mates had grown up with I sort of still did things with them, but I wasn't as invested in them. And this group of new friends were so keen, and we, we were doing the things that you'd think were right, um, but... One of my mates had a spiritual infection. And the spiritual infection was he started to look at all the negative within the church, the negative within the local pastors, within the, the organisation, within even working at sanitarium. And I started to feed into this negative talk, not even being aware of it, just being associated with it, you become changed. And I started, instead of wanting to just walk in the ways of Jesus, I wanted to now be godly, religious. Learn about some of those people in our parable that we're going to look at today, but overly religious. Some people, like my dad would say, you know, they're so godly, they're of no earthly use. I, I was heading down that camp. And I was at sanitarium in the printing press, and I remember my mate coming over who, who was a new convert, new Christian. And he came over to me, and he goes, Sean, you won't believe what some of the local pastors are doing. And I was like, I probably won't, because I wouldn't have even thought about it. And, and he said, I've just received a letter. You've got to read it. And I was thinking, you know, even 
when you want to follow God, you can become focused on the wrong areas. And I, I didn't realize at the time, but that's exactly what I was doing. And I was there, and I was about to say to him, mate, yeah, let, tell me what's going on. And a mate tapped me on the shoulder. His name is Theo. And he was a printer. He's a new Christian. And he said, boys, what are you doing? And I said to him, I don't know, like, just about to listen to this letter about what the church is doing wrong. And, and uh, he said, where'd you get it from? And I said, I don't know. Um, my mate's got it. And he asked him, he said, where'd you get it from? And he said, ah, oh, you know. <laughs> when people say, oh, you know, you know there's something going wrong. Uh, you know. And, uh, and, you know, Theo said, I grew up in a complete non-Christian Australian family in Tassie. And uh, you don't read other people's mail. And you certainly wouldn't take someone else's mail out of their letterbox. And I listened to him, and I, he wasn't condemning me. He wasn't judging me. But what he was actually doing is he was teaching me. It was one of the biggest teaching points in my life. Because I stopped. This guy was a godsend, Theo. And his words changed my life direction. I decided that it was no longer good to listen to other people's stuff or stuff on the websites and maybe even letters that people had. But I needed to actually read the scripture, the Bible, to actually find true life direction. Today, I want to have a look at two passages that came to my mind when I went back to the Bible. I want to share those with you today. And, and I hope and pray that we can leave here different, even if just a tiny little bit different, because Jesus is radical, and Jesus teaches us a new way to live our lives. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, before we open your word today, I pray that your spirit will just anoint this time that we have together. Um, this is a time not just to, to have a preacher. This is a time for us to have some learning. And Lord, I pray that uh, you're with us and you guide us. Amen. The first passage I'd like us to look at, and please, if you've got your Bibles or your phones, whatever you use, um, just jump. And we're going to have it up the front there too, but it's found in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. It is one of, probably one of the most used parables in all of the scripture. It's an interesting parable. It's a parable where there's a lot of teaching, and it's a parable that God directed me to after my encounter at Sanitarium. So Luke chapter 10, verses 37 and 30, oh, sorry, from verse 30 to 37. I'll put on the things that allow me to read. Okay, verse 30. Jesus replied, so this is the parable of the good Samaritan. Verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. In verse 31, it says, by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed 
in by. Verse 32. A temple assistant was the next person on the scene, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he was also passed by the other side of the road. Then a despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and banished them. Then he put the man on his own donkey. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bills run higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three, this is Jesus speaking, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. When I read this passage, and I hope when you read this passage, you look at it and you say to yourself, where do I fit into this story? We could be that person that's just sitting there learning from Jesus. That's a good place to be. But in life, there are times when we are going to be just like one of the four characters. We could be the person that is beaten by bandits on the side of the road and left naked and half dead. Perhaps we could be like the religious priest who sees the man and goes... Or perhaps we could be like the temple assistant who looks and goes, can't go there either. Or perhaps we could be like the hero of the story, the Good Samaritan. When I found Jesus in my life, I wanted to be like the Good Samaritan. Not only because he's the hero of the story, but because that is how Christianity should be lived, for me anyway. I don't think it's about walking around the person and, and, you know, the reason that the priest wouldn't go there was not only because it was a Samaritan and they were despised, but because if the priest actually went and touched this man who was bleeding, they would be unclean and they couldn't do their job. They would actually have to go through a purification time and, and, and the priest went, I don't have time for this. You know, I've got all these things I need to do. I've got jobs that need to be completed. And, and they're going to ask, how did you become unclean? And I'm going to have to confess. So he wouldn't do it. The assistant at the temple, he's a leader, an administrator. He wouldn't do it either. And the reason he wouldn't do it, I believe, is probably, yeah, the clean and unclean argument, but also because a Jewish man of esteem, wouldn't even be seen dead, helping a half-dead Samaritan. The sad bit in this story is when we define the church people, they're defined by the first two characters who actually walked around the Samaritan. They'd actually made a judgment call. They'd actually logically gone through their minds and said to themselves, I would rather skip around this problem and just keep walking than actually stopping and helping this man on the side of the road. I want to tell you, it takes a lot of courage. One of my friends, um, his wife, and he was studying to be an engineer, and while he was in Thailand, 
He couldn't get work, and she was on a pretty good wicket, so they were okay. But he was trying to develop his career, and he saw a man who was beaten and had been robbed in the local park where he would go jogging. And he stopped to help this man, and in stopping to help this man, he noticed the man was no longer breathing. And he didn't have a little mask to protect himself, and he thought... I have a choice to make. I risk my own health. I don't know if this man has a disease or AIDS or anything, or do I just leave him on the side of the road? My mate didn't think about it. He gave him CPR. That man was saved. But for three months, he would have to go back and get tested to see if he'd contracted anything. For three months, he couldn't live in the same bedroom as his wife. Because he made a call to do what was right. The Samaritan made a call to do what was right. The heart of Christianity when it comes deep inside is not about religiosity. It's about doing what is right. Because the Samaritan, he gives up the opportunity just to get on time to his, uh, his tasks that he was heading to. He, he gave up the fact that he would, actually be, um, he would actually have to pick this guy up, whatever condition he was in, and take him to the nearest medical facility. He had to give a whole heap of things up. Now, the scripture tells us that when he leaves the inn, he leaves two silver coins. Now, the interesting thing with the silver coins is They were the equivalent of a day's wage. Now, my son's just started working, and uh, I think the average, but I think it's about $25 an hour. Let me say give or take in case I'm wrong. But if you times that by eight hours, then that's the equivalent of what a silver coin is worth. See, the other silver coin that we know in Scripture is when Judas... Judas sells Jesus for 30 pieces of coin, for 30 coin pieces. And we think that it's worth a month or two's wages. Not a huge amount of money. In today's society, we'd be talking somewhere between three to four hundred dollars. So the Samaritan man leaves the two silver coins, and the thing about generosity is that your generosity doesn't have boundaries. Because the Samaritan, he's injured. He needs help. The only person, sorry, the the Jewish man is injured, but the only man that's willing to help is the Samaritan. And he, he leaves the two silver coins and he said, if, if, when I come through the next time, if the costs are more, then I will pay whatever is owing. The Samaritan man in this parable didn't know this Jewish man from a bar of soap. He'd never met him. When Christ comes in our lives, we do radical things because that's exactly what our Jesus did throughout the entire New Testament. He doesn't just sort of like have little bits and pieces. I want to read the next passage with you. It's found in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. So we've finished our little parable. This was the second passage that I came across when I needed to do a little bit of growing up. Matthew 7 verses 3 to 5. Now, it it sounds like a judgment verse. 
What I want you to do is read it, not through the eyes of just being judgmental, but have a look at what to be condemned, to actually be treated how Jesus would treat you. Let me read it. Uh, The Bible says, and I'm reading from the New Living Version, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Verse 5, hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I want to tell you that there are lessons that we learn, and sometimes they're hard lessons, but they're important lessons. You can't sugarcoat some of the lessons that we need to learn in life. Some would say that when we talk about Christianity, we always look for just the positive, positive, positive. Now, there are times where God requires more of us than just the positive, positive, positive. But throughout, even the word judgment, throughout, when we look at these tough concepts, Jesus does it without condemning. We as humans... (laughs) And I don't know about you guys, but I know for me, there's been a few times that I've judged and I've condemned and I've, I've like signed the document this person should be taken out and flogged. Maybe not flogged, but without understanding the true concept of what Jesus is teaching about not condemning. I've done it to my kids and there are times where I've had to come back to them and just say, look, I'm really sorry. Because I got it so, so wrong. So the first lesson that I'd like us to look at is judge yourself first. Before we judge others, it is important that we first look in the mirror at ourselves. The passage that we just read, you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log in your own. When you actually look at the Greek, the Greek actually doesn't, refer to it as like a a big log. It actually refers to it as a twig, something that could actually poke you in the eye, not something that takes your head off. Uh, The the Greeks understood what Jesus meant. He didn't mean that you're hanging in this massive big log like this. It actually refers to a twig, something that could poke you in the eye. You see, the twig in your brother's eye, while you can't see the beam in your own, We are too concerned with other people's faults and sin that we tend to ignore our own sin, which is greater. It is easier to follow a negative picture. I I can tell you right now, is it May 21 we got the election? I can't wait for May 22. Because it's almost all I hear is blur, blur, blur. Because they're just as bad as each other. And their message is not a message that is clear. It's a message that's just like mud. But Jesus isn't like that. The message that he wants to share is saying, hey, there are aspects in our life that need to be worked on that are clear. When we understand that there are aspects in our life that we need to work on that are clear, we can actually do something with it. My mate Theo, when he confronted me in the printing press at Sanitarium that day, he wasn't there to judge or condemn me. But what he did was he came and he challenged. Changed 
a view that was starting to take hold in my head and said, hey, is that the right way to live? And the reason it changed for me, and this passage is important for me, is because I that I needed a realignment. That there was something out of alignment in my life. We need to judge ourselves and correct our faults first. If we're to have a proper mindset, when we judge, it must that we too are not guilty of the same sin. Judging ourselves is not enough. If we see a sin present in ourselves, which is almost every case, we must be quick to repent and change our ways. One of the most powerful passages in Scripture, if you've, if you've never read it, is, is the book of Acts. When you read Acts chapter 1, there's this incredible experience where Jesus actually leaves the disciples and leaves this earth. Jesus gives them some directions. There's some encouragement given from the angels. The same way you see Jesus going, he's going to return. He's, this, this is a promise that we have as Christians. We get to chapter 2, we find all the disciples praying, and there's a whole heap of other Christians that are together just praying, and God promises them something powerful. Jesus talked about it in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples and those people in this upper room. And the Bible says that there were like these tongues of fire on their head. God was the writer and God was, was using incredible description to say, not only am I just going to come and be part of your heart, I want people to know. I want people to know. Peter gets up and preaches his sermon prior to Jesus dying is, I deny you once, twice, three times, Jesus. That was the best sermon he came up with. The only people that sort of listened were the Roman soldiers who had killed Jesus. But now Peter gets up and preaches in Acts chapter 2, and he goes the whole way through, crucified him, we whipped him, we did everything bad to Jesus, and you know what? He's alive. He's been alive with us for 40 days. We've been learning. He's now just descended back to heaven. We've been given this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit, which is going to not only change our lives, it's revolutionizing us. And, and Peter preaches this sermon about sin. Peter understood it because, remember, he's the one who denied Jesus three times, used his worst fisherman language, swearing and carrying on. And now he's preaching, and the people aren't hearing just his words. They're hearing the Holy Spirit infuse them. Things change. Stuff changes. An incredible reformation takes place in the community around Jerusalem. 3,000 people become converted to Jesus in a day. We call it the beginnings of the modern Christian church. And today we're talking about billions of people around our world who when they tick the box say that they too are Christians. One of the lessons that each of those people had to learn, they said, what do we do now? And Peter said, you need to repent. You need to look at what's happening in your life. Repent, that's what it means. Jesus isn't saying, I judge you. Jesus isn't saying, I condemn you. Jesus is saying, repent. 
because I have a better life planned for you. Repent. The next aspect of judgment that I learn is speak judgment in love. My mate Theo did exactly that. He wouldn't even realise because it was just another day at work. And he would have gone back to his printing press, done his thing. He's probably never thought about that ever again. I have because he didn't condemn. He shared a truth. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 says, speak the truth in love. If we see our friends sinning in a loving way, we need to remind that person of the negative effects of their actions. But in all things, speak the truth in love. You know, the good thing about the truth of God doesn't hurt people. The truth that we sometimes as human beings try to share with people can hurt people. But God's truth doesn't hurt. It actually cuts through all of the grime and the rubbish. We must speak the truth in love. That day in the printing press, I was challenged because someone expressed Jesus' love to me, not condemnation. This changed my life trajectory. Do I get it right all the time? <laughs> Just go and have a chat with Cara. You should work out the truth there. No, it doesn't mean that I'm going to get it right all the time. But I have this constant that I want to get back to. And that constant is not to condemn people, but to speak the truth in love. It's what our Jesus did. It's what our disciples did. And it's what we're required to do. Speak the truth in love and not condemnation.